Are y'all looking for a way to create a podcast? Well, with Anchor, it makes the process as easy as a layup. With the No Limit Podcast, there is no limit to what we talk about, and the same goes for Anchor. You can edit and record seamlessly from your phone and computer and get your podcast up and running in minutes. One thing I didn't know when I started was that Anchor does everything for you and automatically distributes your podcast on all platforms like Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and many more. So when you tune into the No Limit Podcast, make sure to download the app or go to anchor.fm to get started and make your dreams become a reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No Limit Podcast, where there is no limit to what we are discussing. Uh, today's episode, we're going to dive into a lot, of, uh, a lot of NBA talk, so sit tight for a, a nice show. Uh, today, I have a guest with me. He's one of um, many coworkers I've had in Persources. Uh, probably the only one that I've ever co-written an article with, uh, J underscore purse or how's it going? What's up guys? I'm good. All right. So, um, we're going to dive in. Um, interested to hear your thoughts just because, uh, uh, we go back and forth all the time when we're posting on our pages and everything, and we don't really see eye to eye, but we have a, a lot of good points. So, uh, obviously the NBA awards happened. Uh, I had to watch it on my commute home from work, unfortunately. So I didn't get to catch all the whole thing, but um, obviously uh, the beauty of YouTube, I uh, watched the whole show. But uh, so the first award, um, the most improved player, obviously I picked Pascal Siakam. I don't know if you had a similar choice, but um, he definitely deserved it. Um, in my opinion, he's just a different player in every aspect of the game. I don't really see players go out and compete every night like he does. Um, some of the names, just like Siakam, who do that, uh, Russell Westbrook, um, and even Tristan Thompson. Those are the only two guys that really come to mind, aside from Giannis. But, um, yeah, um, he's plus 11.7 minutes a game. Uh, his three-point percentage went from 22% to 36.9%, which is a very drastic change, especially from a big man. Uh, plus 9.6 uh, points per game, uh, plus 2.4 rebounds a game. Uh, just curious, what are your thoughts on this award? Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, I hear a lot of people mentioning also like D'Angelo Russell in this conversation, but my pick definitely goes to Siakam because when you really look at it, he went from, you know, being a second round pick to this person who's a likely all-star next year who is the second or third best player on a championship team, I think this is what the most improved player award is like really supposed to be about, you know, like the, the problem with D'Angelo Russell and a lot of these other guys, like Zach Levine, it's sort of, they're expected to make this kind of leap. Whereas with Siakam, it's just totally out of the blue. And it's just, you know, to go, to go from a second round pick to future all-star is just, it's just special. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big value guy, and I think this award has a lot to do with being valuable to a team. Um, last season, uh, a season ago, he was averaging anywhere from three to six shots a game, more toward the three end. And this season, um, he was averaging uh, anywhere from six to 11 shots a game. So he was being utilized offensively, as we could see. And these numbers doubled in the postseason. And I love his grit and grind down low. The man isn't afraid to go down and get Toronto a bucket, especially we see a lot of times where Toronto, you know, is scoreless for, for five minutes at a time. He's often the guy who breaks the mold. And the crazy thing is he's developed so much and he's developed in the, to the second option offensively. I mean, sometimes 
being the first uh, offensive option, depending on what type of night Leonard's having. We saw it in the finals. And honestly, I don't think his energy can be matched. Right. Like, the thing with Siakam, too, is, like, you know, he plays to his strengths. He doesn't try to do anything that he can't do. He knows what he's good at. He knows he's good at those fast breaks, those offensive rebounds, and he just sticks to them. He doesn't try to do anything that that's outside of his game. And I think that's what makes him such an efficient scorer. Because especially when you look at his, you know, his field goal percentage, 54.9 is honestly, like, it's absurd for a guy who shoots as much as he does. Absolutely. And to be a 36% three-point shooter, that's just – that just adds so much to his game. And I feel like that um, I've had myself a lot during the season is I feel like Toronto was missing that piece was missing right. that uh, the low post guy or a uh, big man. I mean, obviously you didn't get it with Valanchunas. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a played great, but he didn't really seem promising, but I feel like Siakam was the guy. And honestly, I like the fact that Toronto won the finals, not to get too much into it, but Right. It's, it just leaves it just leaves the whole NBA wide open because the Toronto Raptors did it without having any superstars besides Kawhi. Kawhi in in other terms did it by himself and he had a lot of great assets around him and a got a lot of role players and I mean mm-hmm. when Fred Van Vliet shoots lights out from the three-point line I mean that's kind of that's kind of tough. Right, yeah. What's what's interesting too is like Siakam's exactly the type of player that Toronto needed last year, you know? That yeah. guy who can sort of – I think it's kind of ironic how he comes along right when, you know, Toronto – well, obviously they still needed him, but they definitely needed that type of player more last year when they had the Rose in. Yeah, and it's just sad to see that um, it was such a big gamble to give away DeRozan and everything. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're right. I do agree that they didn't they didn't need that type of player last season. But uh, so the coach of the year that award is just I don't know. I mean, I've had a couple coaches in mind like Mike Malone, Doc Rivers. I mean, you kind of with coaches you kind of say the same names more than right. once when you're thinking of this award. Mm-hmm. But I might I might be a little biased just because I love Mike Budenholzer. I mean, he did. Right, coach, yeah, he did coach Atlanta. So I mean, there's that connection there. But I mean, it essentially all starts with his resume. I mean, he worked under Coach Pop. It resulted into some championships working under him. He brought a mediocre Hawks team to a 60 and 21 record. Made four out of the five starters all stars, which uh, I don't know. That's just rare for me. Uh, he repaired the Bucks team and pushed Giannis to become an absolute beast. I mean, honestly, Giannis is. A beast himself, but I mean, I feel like Budenhoser had a lot to do with that just because of his influence. I mean, right. he's one of those guys who doesn't come off as an aggressive coach, as you see on like the sidelines and everything. But mm-hmm. as soon as there's a timeout or a practice is called, he's not a, a practices in session. Like he is not afraid to lay into his guys, and I feel like that's where you kind of see a, a lot of Popovich in him, just because he's worked under him for so many years, and Popovich kind of like mentored him in a little way. Right, yeah, definitely, because, you know, the sort of the whole like stigma with Budenholzer before he went to Milwaukee was kind of like his teams can't perform in the playoffs. They would have all these great regular seasons because they're such a team-oriented, you know, roster. But then once they get to the playoffs, they lack that superstar. And a lot of that criticism went, you know, sometimes unfairly to Budenholzer 
And I think he showed like, you know, just what he can do with a superstar this year with the Bucks. And that sort of creative mind that took the Hawks to like such levels that I think few other coaches could have achieved with that type of roster. I think that really manifested itself this year with the Bucks, where you had Giannis doing all these things where like we kind of saw him doing last year, but we, it was a sort of, you know, this Giannis kind of completely evolved this year into the type of player he is today underneath Budenhoser. And I think this has, this happens a lot with a lot of young superstars is they're not used to the moment, you know? I mean, everyone's saying, oh, the Bucks are going to go all the way. The Bucks are going to do this. I mean, right. to be honest, I don't think the Bucks were ready to face Toronto in the conference right. finals. Um, and I feel like just with the – what's the word I'm looking at? The, the atmosphere that they faced. I mean, mm-hmm. Giannis did struggle when it came down to put the ball in the basket. And, I mean, at the end there, you kind of relied on George Hill and Chris right. Middleton and Brooke Lopez, like – relied on your role players and it's like you need your superstar to step up obviously um drake got into his head a little bit i like to talk about drake just because we he's just a, such a vital part to what toronto is is doing and we didn't we haven't seen a guy with that much energy from the sidelines since spike lee and like right, we yeah. saw what spike lee did with reggie miller i mean he completely but the thing is with reggie miller he kind of like jump started that confidence but the next the next back in that day still took the series but um no um back to my point i just think that i feel like by next year and a year after that he just keeps putting in that work he'll eventually be an nba champion right like there's definitely a lot of you know flaws in his game but well the thing with it's very rare for you know a superstar player to win a championship in his first season you know and the thing with Giannis too is like this is his first year being deep in the playoffs before that it was you know just first round exits I'm actually pretty impressed by the way he held it together because it's because if you look at his age like how old is he like 25 still he still has like so much more room to grow and exactly I'd be very surprised if next year he didn't come back and just completely dominated the playoffs I mean we'll see what they do in the offseason I mean uh, I haven't heard much about what Middleton's doing. I think he wants more money. Uh, I just don't think he's worth that much. I think you give him anywhere from 17 to 18 million. I just don't think he's worth 20 million yet with the season he had. Obviously it's a, a big, a big factor, but I just don't think he's worth that much money. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing with Middleton, it's sort of like he might be one of those cases where it's a necessary overpay, you know, where it's, the Bucks are recognizing that they're overpaying him because I think, I think the Bucks would be happy to pay Middleton twenty million, or like twenty to twenty-five million. The problem is once you get to twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, obviously, that's where the Bucks recognize okay, this might be a little bit too much, but at the same time, is it? It might be worth that just so he doesn't leave you. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll talk more about them later in the show, but um, I want to get to the defensive player of the year. Okay. Um, honestly, I don't have much to say. I mean, I feel like Gobert just wins it every single year just because of his length and athleticism towards the rim. I mean, he's one of the best shot blockers, and, and if not the best shot blocker in the game. And, I mean, he had 2.3 blocks a game this season. 
uh, 2.6 in the postseason. Other than that, I mean, he did win it over Paul George and Giannis, and it's very questionable to me just because I thought – I mean, obviously I picked Gobert just because, I don't know, I just felt like he had a little more. But I thought for a while that Paul George played a lot better defensively. Right. You know, I thought it was kind of kind of odd, actually, because I thought the, to the voters it was going to be between Giannis and Paul George. But, you know, the problem with, like, defensive player of the year is that it's so much harder to measure defense than it is for offense, you know, because there's different ways of playing defense, and it's hard to know if someone's better at it than someone else when they're both such elite defenders. Yeah, I mean – I honestly think this is this a this is the only award that's favoriting the big man in my opinion, just because it's right. such a guard dominant league nowadays that you don't ever see a big man win an MVP or get a scoring title since probably Shaquille O'Neal. But I mean, I feel like it's the league's way of saying we appreciate the big man, we appreciate what they do. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they came out and said we only look at big men during this award. We just kind of throw in. Uh, guards to make it a little more fun and obviously the fan the fans vote too and everything like that but I honestly feel like the fans should only get like at least 10% of the vote and the rest the rest of the vote should come from the league because mm-hmm. obviously they see it firsthand they, they know what it's like and I feel like right. even with the all-star all-star roster like it's the most popular players to be in. And I feel like with, with the league's perspective, I feel like other players are, are more deserving of a chance. Right. Right. For sure. And that's the thing with the award with defense too, you know, cause yeah, I agree. It's definitely more favorable to the, the big man because that's the most impactful defensive position on the court. But at the same time, what's a bit interesting about Gobert is that he sort of gets played off the court against in the playoffs, especially against like, like we saw against the Rockets last year, um, two years ago, actually, when Clint Capella was just completely dominating Gobert by just, you know, sort of out sprinting him every single fast break. And Gobert's this really, really good rim protector, but he's sort of reluctant to step out. And I think it's kind of, it's odd how Gobert can be such a fantastic defensive presence during the regular season. And, Obviously, Defensive Player of the Year is a regular season award, but during the playoffs, it takes a you know a specific type of big man to be like a good defensive impact, you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Gobert is a lot more balanced, and and obviously he's not the quickest uh, player up the floor, mm-hmm. but when you go down the paint, he like I said, he his poise down low is just something that. Right. Not a lot of big men have. Yeah, he has excellent timing. Excellent timing and everything. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not mad that he won and everything, but um, he he did deserve it in my opinion, and I don't feel like a lot of people are going to complain about that award. Right. I think, I think some people are also saying Giannis, but I don't know. To me, it's Giannis is sort of – I just don't think he's as smart defensively as Gobert or Paul George because – Giannis, you know, he's just so athletic. His his length is just so amazing. He sort of compensates for his lack of awareness sometimes. It's just this athleticism that comes from nowhere. 
But a lot of times, you know, when you watch the film or you watch the games, Giannis kind of he has a misstep or he he's a bit slow in a rotation. And that's what I think is holding him back from being the best defensive player in the league. He's definitely still, you know, first team all defense caliber, but I just don't know if I would put Giannis on like a Kawhi Leonard or if I put him on a LeBron James in a playoff series. Yeah. uh, One more thing before we move on. Um, I'm just curious. Do you think that there is a little persuasion once players hit the postseason that that does that play a factor into who's going to win the awards? Because we've never seen, obviously I think the awards show happened like maybe two, three years ago, if I'm not mistaken, but the awards were given out as soon as the regular season ended. But now we have that kind of stretch where we wait for the finals to be over. We wait for the draft to be over. So I'm just curious to see your opinion. If um, the playoffs have something to do with winning an award. Um. Well, I think the voting takes place actually before the playoff starts. I'm not sure about that because I think that's the way they did it before. But I think it's the same way where the the voting happens like before the first round begins and then they just present the awards later, which I think is actually very stupid. I hate how we have the awards show like two weeks after the finals ends and like no one really cares anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think they should just go back to the old way. Maybe even have like, a break between the regular season and the postseason, just have the awards show then, and then the playoffs can start. Exactly. I think, I mean, that's just the NBA's way of making more money, I guess. But um, so this next award, um, we definitely didn't agree because we were going to write an article on it. Right, um, right. People, can't, people have been arguing that I've been, I've been biased towards this award. But honestly, I take my hat off to Luca. He did deserve it. 21, 8, and 6. Those are impressive numbers. Just on that argument, and I can't get off of it, that he's been a pro since age 12, but obviously no one knew he would become this type of player. But honestly, coming into the league, I expected him to be a Middleton type of player. I expected him to be at that level at least. So to -hmm. see him perform this, this well, I mean, obviously, it caught the league by surprise. It had every camera on him. Um, The media definitely played a huge factor in this award. Um, Let's see. Um, So, Trey Young actually had uh, 1,549 points to Doncic's 1526. Trey Young had more assists at 653 to Doncic's 429. Uh, they were similar in field goal percentage. Doncic killed him on the boards, plus 10 in steals. Um, I'm curious to hear your side because obviously um, we got into a little argument over a post where you were like, uh, I said stats really don't matter, and here I am naming numbers. But uh, um, you said that, that award's not that deep. Right. Well, I think the way I look at it is sort of, you know, no one really takes rookie of the year into account when we discuss a player's legacy, right? So I think rookie of the year is more about it's just because it's also it's unfair to expect rookies to have a uh, winning impact on the team the first season. So, oh, did you know Trey Young's first name is Rayford? I just looked at his basketball reference profile and apparently really? his first name is Rayford. Yeah, wow. it's Rayford Trey Young. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. 
anyways, but um, yeah. So I think the the award's honestly about statistics to me because I mean I think it's hard to argue their impact on their teams when they're still so young. You know, we don't really know the impact, especially since both their teams didn't exactly win a lot of games. And I think in the future, it's a debate about which one of these players will be better. I think you can put a very if you said Trey Young was going to be better than Luka Doncic in the future, I would. I mean, obviously, I would disagree, but I, I can't find a good reason to say you're wrong either because it's it's also very likely that could happen. But, and I think it's very early to even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is Luka is like, he. He just you know it's the it's the argument of the whole season versus part of the season because you know definitely for a few weeks Trey Young was the best rookie in the league but the problem was Luka Doncic was the best rookie in the league for the other like 30 weeks which is why I I'm still sticking with Luka for my pick but I do admit Trey Young I think Trey was more fun to watch in the, in the, in the latter half of the season for me because he was sort of make making these plays that yeah, it's, it's kind of odd because they have like sort of different composures on the court where Luca makes everything look so easy and effortless. And you kind of see Trey Young, you know, struggling and like every single play looks so like, looks like it's taking so much effort for him, but he's yeah, still that, doing that it, definitely, you know? Yeah, I like So I like, scrappy, yeah. Yeah, I like that how you brought that up just because Trey Young busts his ass to, right. to get a bucket, whereas Luca just is like, hey, I'm just going to pass like magic down down the lane or you know i'm just gonna hit this fadeaway shot over a seven footer but honestly um you could argue consistency and i know that's i think that's the reason why you picked him and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna disagree with you because Mm -hmm. young shot fucking terrible he shot 28 percent from the three-point line i mean at times he did struggle to find himself in during the season and he was essentially carried by john collins most of the season in my opinion, and I'm a Hawks fan saying this, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it all comes down to how easy it is to get a bucket and how, like you said, I feel like composure plays a big part in that. And I feel like everyone knew Luca was going to win it. And Trey Young did have a way better uh, second half of the season than Luca did, mm-hmm. but Luca kept it steady. And I feel like that's what ultimately won him that award right yeah because like you know there was those games where Trey Young had it was just incredible you know he just you watch him play and you just I, I just saw Steve Nash on steroids honestly you know <laughs> it was like he was just pulling from anywhere and the type of passes he was making was just incredible to watch and with Luca, it's like he had less of those games but night in and night out Luca was just delivering so right I mean, those two players are probably going to be the future on the the future times two of this league, just because there's obviously another tier. But I think right. the, the NBA is in good hands. I mean, For I feel sure, like definitely. I feel like players being drafted in the league are are more well prepared than they were mm-hmm. before. But the last awards, so that we could finally stop talking about NBA awards and get into the real stuff. Um, I mean, I could talk about Giannis all day. Uh, I just love. I just love his demeanor. I love his attitude towards the game. I love how he takes nothing for granted. Um, 
he puts the team on his back, but he he never once says, uh, he never once uh, argues that it's an individual award to him. I mean, right. obviously he's a team team person, and you saw that by his speech. I honestly don't agree with the fact that uh, James Harden got snubbed. There's a reason. There's a scoring title, and there's a reason there's an MVP. And mm-hmm. obviously, uh, the Rockets are next on the topic I want to discuss, so we'll get into that a little bit more. But Giannis is just an all-around player. Obviously, he doesn't have a jump shot, and that's what he lacks. But he single-handedly picked up Milwaukee and turned that franchise around. And it's kind of it was it's just it's it's awesome to see how he's developing as a player and how he's a constant work machine. I mean, a lot of a lot of these guys, they go into the off season and they just relax all summer, but nope, he's in the gym, he's working hard. He's like like I think when he was 18 years old, he slept at the facility because right, he was yeah. too scared to go anywhere. And mm-hmm. for him Milwaukee saved his life and I feel like that's why he's so committed to the city. That's why he wants to win a championship in that city. And it's just beautiful to see. For sure, yeah. And the thing with Giannis is, I, I think I knew he was going to win the award. And Giannis deserved the award, for sure. But I still wanted James Harden to win, even though I knew Harden didn't really have a better argument to Giannis. The thing with Harden is just like... Back when he was on that insane, what was it? I think it was like 30-something games of scoring 40 points or something. It was just – a lot of people say, oh, any superstar can do that. They shoot that much or if they play that many minutes or if they hog the ball like him, him, right? But the thing is, it's not that easy because it's very, very you know, mentally tiring and physically exhausting to just carry that load every single night. And – I think it's not something that every superstar could do, which is, you know, why I've sort of my admiration for Harden has grown so much this season, simply because the type of like endurance it takes to be able to keep that going for so long was just amazing for me. But at the end of the day, I think that Giannis should have been MVP because statistically Giannis was also just off the charts this year. And, best record in the league, you know, it's just, it's hard to argue against that. Right. And I feel like with this award, you have to have guys around you. And I feel like there's a lot of head clashing over in Houston and we'll get into the off season moves. Cause I honestly don't know what the hell Houston is thinking in the off season. I mean, why are they eyeing Jimmy Butler? Do you have a better explanation than I have right now? I mean, I definitely don't agree in that they should bring Jimmy Butler in. But it's one of those things where it's like they can't come back next season with this team because it hasn't worked the past two years. And I don't think it'll work next year with Chris Ball getting even older. So it's just one of the things where the Rockets, Daryl Morey's just like, they're sort of making a move for the sake of making a move. And I don't even think they're going to get Jimmy Butler because – I think the Sixers are really going to be pushing hard for him. And I don't see why Butler would leave the Sixers for the Rockets. Right. And why would you add another ball-dominant guard on Houston when you already have two? Right, yeah. And it's like, yeah, we've never seen a team with three 
like, you know, backcourt guard players win a championship. When you have a big three, it's always, you know, two guards and a big or two bigs and a wing. It's, I just don't really see how, especially in, you know, Mike D'Antoni's offense, I don't see why, how Butler would, you know, be an upgrade. The whole Chris Paul confusion, I think it's just a cover-up. I think he really wants to leave. But I also think that no NBA team wants him. And, For sure. And I just think that the pairing of James Harden and Chris Paul is just terrible. I mean, they both want the ball in their hands. And Chris Paul is more effective when he has the ball in his hands because he can make plays for others. But how can you make plays for others when James Harden has the ball 98% of the time? Mm-hmm. And another thing I didn't agree, like I didn't necessarily agree with, you said that like you have some admiration how he goes out there and and scores a lot. Right. And that's great and all, but you have to use your other teammates. And Kobe said this too, that his style of play is not going to win an NBA championship. So later down the line, I, I really do feel like, because – I really do feel like there's going to be a choice between Chris Paul and James Harden because both players can take the franchise to different heights. It's just I feel like both of them are holding each other back. Well, with Chris Paul, I think – I mean, I don't, I don't really see realistically how the Rockets could pick Chris Paul over Harden. But I think when they're both playing at their best or when they're both you know, healthy and fresh – the pairing is actually it's not bad. Well it's I think it's pretty effective actually because it's sort of this my turn, your turn thing. And you would think that's, you know, not a good recipe for success. But they make it work because they they sort of almost abusing the rules of basketball with the way they're playing, you know, this sort of like everyone's on the perimeter and it's just ISO, ISO, ISO. And which is why their play style doesn't really work as well in the playoffs because they rely a lot on Harden and Chris, Chris Paul making these tough shots. And in the playoffs, you know, you have one or two games where their shots, those tough shots aren't going in because obviously they're tough shots, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a hole that's hard to dig yourself out of. And especially because, you know, of how much Harden and Paul have to handle the ball every night and that, that load it's placed on them. For 82 games plus like another 20 in the playoffs, it's hard to maintain that, which is why I think they struggle so much in the postseason. Yeah, and I also heard rumors that they might let go of Capella. I feel like they'd be really stupid to let him go. He's the heart and soul of their defensive end. He's the defensive anchor of that team. You take him away, you don't even make it out of the first round, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think with Capella is like, He's good against every team in the NBA, but the second he faces the Warriors, for some reason, he you would think he'd be a good matchup for them because you know he's athletic, he's strong, he can run the floor, but Capella just gets, for some reason, he just gets, he just plays so passive against them, which is, which I don't think that's the the bar the Rockets should use to judge Capella, you know, because just because he's bad against one team in the league doesn't mean he's you should move on from him, right? And especially right. the Warriors, you know, like probably not going to be contenders next season. I just don't I don't see how the Rockets can replace Capella if there's a big man on the market that's better than him for this team. 
I mean, they're talking about Capella for Horford, and that would be a downgrade. Mm-hmm. I love Boston and all, and I love Capella, but that would be a downgrade. And I feel like when you brought up a, uh, he's not good against the Warriors, I just don't think he was used to – I don't think he's used to playing against Draymond Green. I mean, that's probably his matchup ten, nine times out of ten. Right. I mean, they go small ball almost all the time. So being put up against uh, Capella – a green rather is just he's just not used to that right he's draymond not used green to someone is, being that who's able to keep up with him like that you know yeah draymond green is everywhere and he makes it hard for any type of player so right. obviously i'd be passive too if i'm going down the lane and i mean uh second thinking about taking a little two foot jump shot or a two foot hook shot right but, um i hope they don't get, get rid of Compella, and i hope horford isn't the replacement because that'd be a downgrade and Essentially, you'd be taking more away from the paint, in my opinion, and that they need—that's what they need. That's why the—that's the reason that they made it to the conference finals is because of Capella's grit and grind down low. Yeah, I mean, actually, I feel like Horford from the last two seasons and this year for Capella would be actually not a bad move because I think Capella can't pass like Horford, and Capella can't shoot like Horford, right? The problem is Horford moving forward might not be good as, probably won't be as good as Capella. I think it'd be really interesting, actually, if they paired Horford together with Capella. I think that would be, honestly, like, one of the best front courts in the league because they're almost like, I guess, like polar opposites on the offensive end. Yeah, but who would you give up? That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, because I mean... Also, even with the Jimmy Butler situation, it's like a sign and trade with Jimmy Butler. I think that like who who the Rockets be, you know, trading in that scenario to make the salaries match. The only person I can see looking at it is Capella, and I don't and I don't think you should just be swapping Capella for someone that you're not sure can fit his role better. Exactly. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, as the summer uh, goes on. Um, Honestly, since we brought up Horford, I mean, going moving on to what the Celtics are doing in their camp, I mean, is Al Horford really worth $112 million? Um, Definitely not, but I think – that's, yeah, that's the price that they're holding him at just because his agents really think he's worth that much. And um, Well, I heard that Horford actually got an offer from another team that's worth that much, and they're a Celtics – we're just saying, like, we're not willing to pay you that much. So Horford's just like, okay, I'm going to go to that team. Because their contract negotiations negotiations broke down once Horford learned about that. Yeah, I mean, isn't the – isn't they were offering him $80 million, correct? Um, I think it was somewhere like three years, $80 million, which I think – I think it's pretty reasonable. I'm not sure if it's the best move, like, long-term, but I think it's – something that the Celtics I mean, should have done because Horford's just so important to the way their offense functions. I mean, he was, he's, he's important to, he was important to the Hawks too. I mean, giving up Al Horford, I think essentially ruins their postseason Definitely. run. Right. I mean, it hurts them. I mean, he was, I, for me, I didn't like, cause so here's my thing. Al Horford on the Hawks was, he was a beast down low. He was, He'd never had a jump shot. But then when he went to Boston, all of a sudden he expanded his range. 
He he was a perimeter player as well. He could knock the three-point sh- shot down. But then again, I think he's one of the most clutch players on the on that Celtics team just because he – he um, what am I looking for? He buys into what Brad Stevens says and the plays drawn up. I mean, there was one play – I feel like maybe it was a year ago, I'm thinking, of the play that was um, – there was an overhead pass to him. He got position over um, – I forgot his name on the Sixers, but he got oh, Right, right, yeah. I remember that. The layup, right, yeah. Yeah, the layup, right. I mean, those are the little things that Al Horford does that essentially makes him worth $112 million. I mean, we saw it with Pat Beverly. I mean, realistically, he's worth 6 to $8 million, but he's going to get 14 to $15 million just because his defense and – bringing a player onto that. I mean, I feel like we always say with these guys, it's like uh, with Al Horford, like, oh, you have Al Horford now? Like, oh, you could really do something. Like th- that type of player, um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's why he's worth $112 million. And hopefully the Celtics are willing to pay a little more for him. I mean, why not meet in the middle? I mean, it could benefit the Celtics. And Al Horford's always a loyalty guy. I mean, I don't think he's just going to say I'm going to a different team because I want to win. Like you said, he what he the Celtics said they, they don't want to give him that much. Then he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to a team that's going to give me that much. And so we'll see what happens with there. Um, in the draft, I don't know why they draft so many guards. I mean, obviously with Irving gone, apparently, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the situation. I haven't heard too much about it. But – they are notorious for drafting guards, and it's like, who are you? Who are you leaning toward? And I don't agree with the Langford pick um, when you're trying to build around Tatum. I mean, you have Tatum and Hayward on the roster still, and you're drafting another forward like that. I just don't agree. Right. Well, the thing with the Celtics too is their problem before was they had too many of that wing type player, you know. But now, if you look at the roster. They actually don't have a point guard because you have Kyrie in free agency and Terry Rozier is in free agency. And I think it'd be a mistake to pay Terry Rozier over $15 million. I I think he's – I think Brad Stevens' offense makes it very easy for a, a scoring point guard to, you know, get his buckets. And I don't think Rozier is just worth, worth that much because the only point guard they have left is, I think – Brad Wanamaker, and I'm not really sure if he's even going to be on the team next year. Yeah, I mean, there are so many questions up in the air saying that does Danny Ainge really know what he's talking about or does he really know what he's doing? I really don't think he knows what he's doing. Um, I think that they were banking on a Celtics dynasty that didn't work out. I think that um, they thought Irving was going to be this magical player that was going to bring them to places that – they haven't been to in a while and it just didn't work out. So I feel like they're scrambling and I feel like they're scrambling to put a team together. But honestly, why fix something that wasn't broken a year ago with Irving out? They were better with Irving on the bench. And um, why not build around that team and why not keep that core together? That's, That's why I really think you really should keep Al Horford a part of your camp. And I really think that, like I said, don't break, don't break something that doesn't need to be broken. I mean, they're, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's basically it. I mean. Well, like, the thing with Al Horford, too, is he's 33 years old. 
and paying him a max contract, he's going to be declining every single season from now on until he's 37, 38. And I, like I said again, if it's like two or three years ago, I think that's maybe something you consider doing. But at this point, I don't think this, like I don't think Horford's worth that that 112 million. And it's also what's interesting is like I think Danny Ainge had the right idea moving forward, like last year. It's just everything sort of fell apart, and I think Ainge had more bad luck than him making wrong decisions because when you look at the assets he had. He had the Sacramento Kings unprotected first round pick, right? And in heading to the season, the Kings are supposed to be a bad team. But it ended up having the 14th pick because they played so well. And so that pick really dropped in value from something that we all thought was going to be a top five pick to number 14. And then you had, you know, Tatum's value drop, Jalen Brown's value dropped. Like, I think Ainge had the right idea last year. It's, this was sort of the worst case scenario for the Celtics where he had Kyrie Irving just not being a good teammate and everyone hating him. And he had Tatum sort of thinking he's better than he actually is. And he had Rozier just not playing smart basketball. I think everything just kind of fell apart and it's not really Angel's fault so much as just, you know, things happen. Yeah, it's Irving's fault 100%. I mean, the way he just played in that postseason angered me. I mean, you should they should have beat the Bucks. I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't have beat them. But with Irving having the ball 90% of the time, he's the person that makes everything happen, and he just wasn't. And it spread out through the locker room. And, yeah, I mean, you you heard a lot of lash out from – Rozier saying, like, I gave up so much to be here. Um, I don't know if Marcus Smart said too much, but, I mean, essentially with Irving on the roster, the morale just died. So hopefully hopefully they pick it back up. Hopefully they can get a, a good roster together. I want them to bring Hayward in the starting lineup. We'll see about that. But um, the Nets are another team that I wanted to talk about in this episode because they're just so interesting and I think they're getting a little too ahead of themselves. So they're eyeing KD and Irving. They're mostly eyeing KD. They're just having Irving be the the help to get KD on board. But honestly, uh, they added Terry and Prince from the Hawks, which was a good addition because they got rid of Hollis Jefferson. So that kind of fit the mold pretty well. Um, but then you're thinking about getting rid of D'Lo, D- which is the reason why – you guys had a great season last season. Like I said, the similar to what the Celtics, why break something that isn't broken? Why go out and try to sign uh, an injured KD and sign um, Irving, who's been having problems with the Celtics? Um, I think this team is making impulse decisions, um, given the season they just had. Um, like I said before, D'Lo was just a huge part of that. And why not continue with D'Lo? Why, why get rid of him right now when I feel like D'Lo has just been used his whole career and I feel bad for the kid because he's worked his tail off to get to where he is. I mean, the Lakers used him and now the Nets are using him. And now there's word that he might go back to the Lakers, the team that used him in the first place. So 
I don't know. I'm confused with this team. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. With DeAndre Russell, I think he's – I don't think he's worth the max because – and I think a, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I'm not sure if Russell can be uh, – can put up this type of production yeah, without you were, being the first option. Yeah, you posted about that a lot, and you because, went really in depth. Yeah. Right, because, like, when you look at it, right, remember Karis LeVert, right? He was having this great season, and before he was injured, Russell was having this, you know – really mediocre season. He was shooting really bad. He was turning the ball over a lot. And it, once Le- and it wasn't until Levert got injured that Russell finally started to shine. I see. And I that's that. the thing, I, right? Because like, yeah. mm-hmm. people are like, oh, Russell just needed, you know, the opportunity. But it's, it's like he's handling the ball as much as Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker, you know? But he's not matching their production. And he and he's only had a few months of really being the type of player we thought he was going to be, and he also relies a lot on these sort of tough mid-range shots and like floaters that he's making them right now, but previously in his career he just wasn't making them, and I don't know if I'll trust him to you know con- continue hitting those tough shots and putting up the same production on a team with another star. I like that point. You made a great point about that. I didn't even realize. Obviously, I knew Karis LeVert went down, but I don't think a lot of people notice what you noticed. And, I mean, hey, that's why I wanted to bring you on the show, and that's why you're here. But moving on, uh, but I love that point. I mean, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just so caught off guard with – because I didn't even notice that. So, I mean, I, I think – the Nets, maybe in your opinion, they're doing the right thing by moving on from him. But also in my, in my mindset, I feel like they should continue on with him. I mean, just because bringing in a guy like KD and bringing in Irving could ruin, could ruin potentially their whole season. I mean, you have guys who are fitting fitting roles perfectly. And then you're bringing in two superstars who, demand the ball and demand a lot of possessions run through them. Right. Um, like that's the thing though, you know, it's, it's a business. It's, yeah. it's a business. And how many ch- opportunities are you going to get to add Kyrie Irving to players like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to your team? That's, you know, oppor- I'm, I'm not saying that it's necessarily, it's necessarily the right thing to do because I'm not a big fan of Kyrie Irving right now. And I don't know if Durant's going to come back the way he is. But if you're the Nets, that's, if both of these guys want to come to your team, that's very hard to pass up on. You know, it's just how can you say no to that? Because you might not ever get a chance to do something like that. And I'm not sure if anything with Russell could end up being as good as Kyrie plus Durant potentially. Right. Um, so – we're reaching that time limit just because um, I have a few things I have to handle. But uh, real quick, um, I've been having a lot of people reach out to me. Um, there's a lot of confusion. Um, am I with per sources? Am I not? Um, I'm with per sources. I've talked to Tony a lot, and we've discussed a lot of stuff. But um, as far as writing, um, I'm probably won't have my my page my profile again until another two weeks. But uh, another thing with purse sources is I just like what Jay underscore purse sources is doing. He's probably 
the second highest as far as production, as far as follower accounts and everything. He's just a, a really great page to, to follow. Um, I love his, I love his takes. Uh, I love everything about the kid. Um, like I said, there's a reason why I only, I don't collab that much, but when I do, uh, he's the only one I've collabed with. Um, but yeah, Jay, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, if you have anything to say about Per Sources and what it's done for you, feel free to do that. Um, loved having you on the show. You're more than welcome to come back again. And yeah. Well, yeah, you know, um, I think Per Sources is just, it's great. You know, it forces you to think about sports a lot deeper than you do before because you're putting your name on these opinions that you're giving out and it really makes you do a lot more like in-depth thinking that you've never probably done before. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And it was really great coming on today actually, because this is my first podcast and, you know, I've never talked this long about basketball at like continuously. So I think it was great. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to test it out, trying to see what's, what's going on with this podcast thing, but um, I have a lot of great ideas and I want you to be a part of that. And mm-hmm. Uh, we have so many writers, um, so if you're looking to write, um, the door's always open. I know Tony is looking for more people to add on. Um, but, yeah, it's like you could write about whatever you want, and I love that. And uh, he get, two and a half years ago, he gave me a voice. Um, Mike, the editor, was actually my roommate, college roommate, so I actually heard the – I got the position through him. But um, I've actually – I've hung out with Tony a handful of times we play basketball and he's a great person. Uh, obviously uh, he gives off that persona on his Instagram that uh, he's this bad person or he's just um, a so dick, so to speak. He's sort but, of mysterious, you know? Yeah. Mis- like, that's a great word, but honestly, he's a great guy. Uh, he's always there for his writers. Um He's just, he does a lot of behind the scenes work that I don't think that gets noticed. And a lot of our writers are missing that guidance. We haven't had a lot of meetings, but things will start picking up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love to have you on the show. I want to make this uh, a common theme with bringing you on the show. You have a great basketball mind. Uh, like I said, um, I just like learning from different people and like learning from you. And, um, but Jay, it's been a pleasure and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be on the show. Right. Thank you so much for, you know, giving me this opportunity. No problem, man. Again, um, follow Jay underscore purses on Instagram. Uh, you won't regret it. So.